Let's do snack math. Wholesome organic popcorn plus sparkling soda plus Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, on the local tip this week, we have a screening tonight by your friends at DeadFest. That's right, they who bring you the monthly screening of the finest in retro and nouveau horror it's Wolf Creek 2 tonight. That's right. You've been waiting for the sequel for nine years. It's finally here, Wolf Creek 2, at the Metro Cinema tonight at 11.30. And I discussed that with none other than Deadfest's Kevin Martin. As well on top of that, I have a book that is called Heavy Metal Movies. I'm holding it in my hands, and it's not super heavy, but it is quite metal. And it's by Mike McBeardo McPadden. That's right. I said McBeardo. That's his official middle name. It's legal, okay? So he wrote a book called Heavy Metal Movies. It is over 600 capsule reviews of different movies that may be construed as metal. It's a fascinating conversation. Listen for that. It's part one of that conversation. We're going to have more of that in a couple weeks, too. And another person that we talked to for a long time that we're going to give you part one of the interview with is none other than Jack Thomas Smith. That's right, he's got a brand new film out. It's called Infliction. It is a dark thriller. And you can find it on iTunes and Amazon.com. And you're going to hear more about that film later on. It's kind of a found footage-esque film. So, on this week's show, we talk about Wolf Creek 2. We discuss Mike McBeardo McPadden's new book, Heavy Metal Movies. We talked about this for years. No, you talked about this for years. As we discuss his new film, (laughs) Infliction. It's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zim. What's with the cameras? We're shooting a documentary. Are you going to be showing good people or bad? Is there a difference? What are you doing? You know why we're taping this. Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio is Jack Thomas Smith. The film we're going to be talking about today is called Infliction, and you're going to be able to find it on iTunes, also on Amazon.com right now. So you know what? Uh, Just put your phone in your hands and and start tapping away while you listen to this because you're going to want to see this movie. Uh, Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great having you on here. Uh, I like it when uh, you know artists from other places that uh, about stuff uh, that wasn't even severely on my radar. I'm like, well, I'm hearing about this now. It's uh, it's the beauty of social media, Jack, and I like it. Isn't it crazy? I mean, uh, I, I got to tell you, for an independent filmmaker, social media is a uh, uh, it's a lifeline now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, for example, we've got. Uh, for Infliction, we've got about a dozen Twitter accounts that are promoting the film. 
Um, we have about 20,000 followers uh, through all the accounts combined. Uh, and we're also getting internal numbers from Twitter uh, that we've had approximately 500,000 views on all the accounts. Um, so, I mean, it, it's it, this is free. I mean, it's it's literally, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's labor. I mean, it's, it's myself and my girlfriend, you know, working these accounts day and night. Uh, trying to promote the film, but uh, for all intents and purposes, it's it's free marketing, um, and you know you're reaching out to people that you normally would have never come across. I mean, kind of like how you and I connected. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a fascinating thing that you know it's uh, it allows you, uh, as, I guess, as much power or uh, you know as much of a way to connect with people as you decide to invest in it, right? So I think that that's Pretty fantastic much. that it's it's worked out really well for you too. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, we might get back to that a little bit later. I know people are probably very curious now. They're like, okay, cool that he's out there. We'll find out where he is. But uh, <laughs> what is Infliction the film actually about, Jack? Yeah, basically the way I describe it, it's a assembled footage film that documents a murder spree committed by two brothers in North Carolina in 2011 and the disturbing truth behind their actions. Uh, it's It's a dark film, very brutal. Um, It doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Um, But there is a very powerful story behind it. It's it's camera, excuse me, it's character driven, uh, very story driven. There are elements of of gore and horror to it. Um, But ultimately, when you watch the film, uh, you're going to find yourself asking who are the true criminals here and who are the true victims. Uh-huh. I, you know, that's I think always the interesting thing about this stuff, too, is that sometimes people kind of will look at it and exclusively judge these things pretty well based on gore factor because I think that right. is, that is that's something that gets sensationalized and, and will be like, okay, that's the one memorable moment. But I think essentially you always have to have a stronger story. So, um, sure. you know, maybe as, as director and writer, uh, talk to us a little bit about you know, what your process is and, and where you kind of started out with these characters and, and maybe what your inspiration or what you wanted to achieve with Infliction. Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, basically what it is, um, and, and I'm not giving away too much by, by saying this, um, but Infliction uh, deals with child abuse and it deals with the long-term ramifications of child abuse. Um, and it, it shows... Uh, what happens when kids can fall through the cracks and then as they grow older, ultimately what happens to them? How do they affect society? Um, You know, how does this impact the individual, the ones that are being abused, you know, as children, how does it impact them as they grow up? Um, And then the film deals very heavy with uh, empowerment. Um, the, The whole underlying theme to the film is defining yourself and not allowing others to define you. Um, So with that, you know, a lot of times when people are abused as children, one thing that they're constantly seeking throughout their lives, it's, it's, they're chasing this is that they want, they want that empowerment. They want to take back their lives from their abusers. And that always seems to be something that they're chasing after, uh, whether, you know, whether they can settle that internally through therapy or just come to some sort of a, uh, 
uh, you know, some sort of a, a peaceful ground, let's say, um, within themselves. It, it's just that's something that they always seem to struggle with. Um, to answer your uh, question, what inspired me about this, um, this was uh, uh, ba- basically there are certain elements of the film that are based on true events. Um, this was someone that I once knew. I don't want to go into who she, who she was. Um, but it was someone that I knew, and her family was similar to this. Um, there were elements of abuse, um, you know, and I, I just saw the long-term effects not only on them, but then when they had children, and then their children grew up, and, you know, and then what happened to them. And it's just the, this whole vicious cycle of abuse. Um, and, and people don't realize it. It's, it's not just the individuals being abused, but then it's when they grow up and then if they have children, do they repeat the cycle and then they do their kids repeat the cycle. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's one of those <clears throat> that again, there, there are elements of horror and gore to it, but it's, it's a very character and story driven film. Um, and there's nothing gratuitous. Um, there's nothing with the violence or the gore where it's like, I just did it to do it. You know, it all applies to the story and it all applies to what these two brothers are setting out to do. We're speaking on the phone today with Jack Thomas Smith, and we're discussing his brand new film, Infliction. You can find it on iTunes right now and also on Amazon.com. Jack, you know, you you hit some interesting points there, I think, too. And and what I want to ask you about is maybe how much did you really have to think or at least maybe even research for yourself um, the psychology and, and and how it affects people, I guess, in these kind of events? How much did you have to look back and, and research for? And maybe the level of sensitivity for yourself, too, um, mentioning now that you're like, this is kind of based on somebody that you knew within your life, Um that how much did you have to kind of ride this line of saying like, well, I need to make something that's a film that's impactful for people, but at the same time, uh, I have to be true to what, you know, the honest elements of it are in my real life and what would happen to other people? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a a great question. Um, I mean, essentially in terms of the research, I didn't have to do a whole lot, uh, to be honest with you. Um, the, the, the person that I knew, I saw what she went through. I mean, I saw the long-term effects, um, having been around her family, you know, I could see the damage that abuse had done to these people. And then in turn, you know, they weren't the best parents and I saw what they did to their kids. Um, so from a research standpoint, honestly, I didn't have to do a whole lot. A lot of it was just observation. It was seeing this. It was, you know, and I was not an abused child. I wasn't, thank God, you know. Um, but just kind of being in that world of being connected to a person who was in that world, I could see it. Um, and then it, it was just kind of life, you know, my life experiences seeing this. And then applying it to infliction um, <clears throat> and the psychology of it, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, 
I don't want to lie and say that, you know, I did this extensive research as to what the mindset is of these kids who are abused. And, and as they grow older, you know, what where they're at, it just, to me, a lot of it was also just humans, you know, it was just how humans tick. And in other words, I, I guess I put myself in the position of the main character, uh, John. Um, John is the driving force in the film. He's, he's played by an actor named Jason Mack, did a phenomenal job. His character is just driven by rage and and determined to set things right at all costs. And in a lot of ways, I'm assuming that if something horrific had happened to me as a kid, that might be me, because that's just my personality. I have a very type A personality. I'm very, you know, I, I will go, you know, I'll charge forward like a, like a ball. Um, <clears throat> so in a lot of ways, I could see myself in that character had something like that happened to me. Joining us on the phone today is my guest, who has written a fascinating new tome on uh, on heavy metal movies. That's what it's called, heavy metal movies. And it's not just about necessarily the film heavy metal. It is about the entire world of that. Uh, on the cover of the book, it says, Guitar Barbarians, Mutant Bimbos, and Cult Zombies Amok in the 666 most ear and eye-ripping big screen films ever. The author is Mike McBeardo McPadden. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you on here. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to this book over the last six months or so when, when you know, the cover art started creeping out and you could see some, some previews of it. Um, you can find it, if you're taking a look for the book, actually at heavymetalmovies.com, right? And it's put up by Bazillion Points uh, Press, right? So, I mean, people, Correct. if they want to check it out, that's where they should go to. We're going to mention it a few times. Don't worry, people. Mike... I know that the title is blatantly obvious about what the book is about, <laughs> right? And I like that about it. But uh, maybe give us a little bit more details to what you, where you were coming from with this book. Okay, sure. Uh, the original title of the book that I pitched to Bazillion Points was "Screen of the Beast: The 666 Most Headbanging Heavy Metal Films of All Time." Uh, and then one day I was at Quimby's Bookstore, which is a local. Uh, Temple of Incendiary Literature here in Chicago, and I saw another Brazilian points title just just glowing on the shelf, just called Swedish Death Metal. Big letters, big and bold. I said, ah, I must just call this book what it is, Heavy Metal Movies. So what the book is about, uh, well, it's, it's reviews. It's actually 850 reviews. started out as it was supposed to be 666, and uh, I just kept going. Um, but so it's about movies that either directly address or contain heavy metal music or somehow otherwise embody the aesthetics and spirit of heavy metal music and culture and, uh, you know, look, sound, feel, smell, the whole deal. I think some people are probably maybe even surprised by that, but the breadth and, and depth that you kind of go to in, in looking at these films is, is quite impressive. Uh, you know, numerous things I'd heard of, but tons of stuff that I hadn't heard of. And I think that's what I really appreciated about the book is uh, it was a great eye-opener to a lot of other films because I've seen lists like this compiled, but never to this kind of depth. So uh, maybe tell us about, like, my God, where do you start? I mean, you, you tell us <laughs> that you have over 800. I feel like I would get lost, Mike. 
Okay, there are hundreds more that got cut, too, so we need to sell enough to do the volume, too. Um, so where I started in putting the book together was um, I've always wanted to do a piece. I've been writing about movies, and particularly cult movies, horror movies, and rock music for a long, long time, like 20-something years. Uh, I'm 45, and I've always wanted to somehow find a good place to do something on all the 80s heavy metal horror movies, like Black Roses, Rock and Roll Nightmare, The Gate, Terror on Tour. And my friend Eric Canville was editing a book called The Official Heavy Metal Book of Lists and asked me to contribute. I said, oh, perfect. And I ended up doing two chapters, one being the greatest heavy metal horror films of all time, and the other being the 13 most metal moments in non-metal movies, so that I could highlight stuff like uh, Twisted Sister in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, doing their cameo filming a music video for Burn in Hell, and uh, the moment we're in Back to the Future where Marty McFly uh, terrifies his father with a blast of Van Halen to, uh, through a headset. And so it started with those 26 films. And one day I was in Quimby's, and I, I, a book I had been waiting a long time for was Destroy All Movies, A Complete History of Punks and Film. Uh, edited by Zach Carlson and Brian Connolly. And finally it was out. And the book, just in my hand, so surpassed what I had hoped it was going to be. I was flipping through it. I was dumbfounded by the greatness of it. And I said to uh, Liz, who is the owner and manager of Quimby's, uh, I said, okay, I'm going home to write a pitch. I'm going to do an answer book about heavy metal movies and hopefully Bazillion Point is going to publish it. And, uh, you know, four years later, and endless, endless leery-eyed nights and sweating and losing my mind uh, days, and here we are. That's what happened. Uh, the book in question is Heavy Metal Movies. You can find it, people, at heavymetalmovies.com. That's where you want to pick up your copy, because, Mike, tell them what they'll get if they order it through you online, sir. Well, not only will you get this, you know, five-pound monstrosity for a, a very, very reasonable reduced rate at the publisher, you will get free a fabric patch for your battle vest, uh, brilliantly depicting the album's cover, which is painted by master heavy metal artist Andrei Buzikov, and you will get a free artisanal Brooklyn-crafted artisanal barf bag. <laughs> Just in case there's something that doesn't quite meet, you know, uh, your stomach very well that you see from the book, right? Uh, you know right. what? I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into that a little bit. All right. So uh, you had to watch all 800 movies. Uh, what is the one that maybe you took you closest to having to use the barf bag itself, Mike? This is the one that people have to see and have the bag near them for it. Okay. Uh, a French film called well, two French films. Uh, so in the 2000s, there was a rise of black metal and death metal in France, uh, embodied by bands like Gojira and Arkin and Faustus. And paralleling this was a, a, a just sort of an explosion of you know 10 or 12 or maybe even 20 extreme horror films from from France. Two of which are absolute masterpieces, and two of the best horror movies ever made. One is called Martyrs, which is a very heavy. Um, heady, philosophical movie about life and death and eternity and is absolutely just brain-boilingly disgusting. 
and repulsive and, and agonizing to sit through. The other is called Inside, and that is about, and that is more of a cat and mouse, high impact, super high energy chase movie. And that is about a woman who is like nine and a half months pregnant on Christmas Eve by herself. And another woman, played by the great French actress Beatrice Dahl, shows up. She kind of looks like a witch from a Dario Argento movie and spends an hour and a half trying to cut the baby out of this woman's midsection. That movie, and I, I have spent a lifetime watching the grossest movies ever made. That movie was the the closest I have ever come to actually spraying my television screen. I just, just projectile vomiting in reaction to it. It was so nerve-wracking and so hideously grotesque and gory and nauseating, but in a great way, in a way that really makes you feel alive as you watch it. Oh, what the bloody hell are you buggers doing out here? <laughs> in this world, there's people like me. And there's people like you. Did you get hit? And people like me eat people like you. McTyler's a knife. Big shooter and outback legend. Expect to come to my country. Walk around like you own the bloody place. Come between a man and his meal and just work away. As always, ladies and gentlemen, it's the beginning of the month. And if it's the second Friday of the month, you know what you're doing. You're going to be making your way down to the Metro Cinema and you are going to be attending a dead fest screening. And at said screening will be not one, but two of the most attractive men in this city. I am not including myself. I am, of course, talking about Derek, who is the smaller, maybe trollier, attractive man in the city. And then the truly sexy beast is Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin, our guest on Moving Radio, once again. Oh, baby, you compliment me too much. I mean, I got the hair flow, and I feel magical as always, no doubt about that. I love that you said it's the second Friday of the month. It must be all that nice. Well, you know, the second Friday to me means a good Friday. <laughs> Great Friday. This is, I mean, I know I heard about some Jesus cat that had suffered the sins on a Good Friday, but my Good Friday is by 11 on from the Big Fest, and that's Dad Fest. And we're fired up. We're fired up this month, Zip. Good. Yeah. Do you know why we're fired up? I, well, I do, but I'm going to let you say it. All right. Let me reiterate why we're fired up. <laughs> now, usually our monthly screenings leading up to the Big Fest in October, we generally do retro movies. But every now and then, we feel a new movie has come out that was sadly passed for the big screens in our beautiful city, and uh, we cannot let this stand. So for this month's screening, for tonight's screening, which happens hours from now, we are showing, dare I say, a superior sequel to the original movie. I will be so bold. I will say that. Some of my friends disagree with me. They thought this sequel was over the top. I say, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Who's the one on the video store here? All right, <laughs> I'm just gonna throw down the gauntlet. We are very, very happy to present the sequel to the 2005 film Wolf Creek, aptly named Wolf Creek Part 2. Nice. Well, you know, here's the odd thing is that you can't say that very often, probably, I'd say, about a sequel to something. And particularly, like, what was it, four years ago, five years ago, Wolf Creek came out? It was, it was a while ago. This is not... Zip, I, I, just, I actually just said the year. Oh, Thanks for know. listening to my big I intro. barely listen to what you... I'm so lost in your eyes. Oh, baby. 
Uh, you know what? It's been, man, it's been nine years, dude. What? I know, eh? There's no way. I had that same reaction when, you know, Hassan City 2 is coming out next month. I'm like, man, when did that first one come out? Nine years ago, 2005. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Jesus. But yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. It is really rare we can say that a sequel, like, look, does it have more action? Yes. Does that make it a better movie? I don't know, but it feels like a better movie. Look. I love Wolf Creek 1. It's it's a fantastic movie. But I think we've talked about this past over beers, over coffees, mm-hmm. over breakfast. I don't know. But <laughs> my biggest gripe with Wolf Creek 1 was you could have trimmed the first 10 minutes right off that movie. Like, it was, it felt like I was watching, uh, and again, I love the movie, but it, I know they were setting up and it's called like a Slow Burner, but I felt like I was watching a tourist video for Australia for the first bit. Of course, the last half of me felt like do not go to Australia video at all. Yes. But um, it, it's ironic that if this sequel is better than the original, it reminds me of another Australian franchise that takes place out in the desert where I felt the second movie was a step up, and that'd be The Road Warrior. And I'm not comparing Wolf Creek to The Road Warrior, although I just kind of did. But Not stylistically. Not stylistically. Not stylistically. Both have sand in them. Yeah. Yes. That's a lot where of dust. it ends. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about this movie, Zip, have you seen Wolf Creek 2 yet? Uh, I have not seen Wolf Creek 2, and I have deep suspicions that it has nothing to do with wolves or them in creeks. Mm. You, you're right. I was going to yeah. say, there are kangaroos in it, but no, no wolves. And there might have been a creek, but no, in the end, I don't think there are. Now, it's funny. For those of you who have seen the first Wolf Creek, we all know the story of Mick Taylor. He's Crocodile Dundee, absolute psychopath <laughs> style, right? What you may not know is that John Jarrett, the actor that does play Mick, who literally stole that movie, um, has been a legendary genre actor in Australia for at least 35 to 40 years now. That guy, if, if, if you dig deep in Aussie films, especially the more nasty ones, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's always the villain because he's not because the follow-up to Wolf Creek by the same director was a movie named Rogue where he was the humblest looking mustache glass wearing regular 40-year-old dude you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Well, actually he's about 60, but that's not the point. But more fascinating is that Quentin Tarantino's favorite Australian actor is John Jarrett. And as me and you both know, Zip, he was originally cast to play the role of stuntman Mike in Grindhouse. Mm-hmm. Now, this is from John Jarrett's own words in an interview once where Tarantino called him, said, you, you got the role, you're my guy, I loved you in Wolf Creek, I've always loved you in, in your other movies. And then in John Jarrett's own word, he's like, one day I had the role, the next day I found out Kurt Russell had the role, I never got a call back. So the reason I bring up the story, now this is still urban cinema legend, even though it's a fairly new legend, but... When you watch the movie, especially the climax of Wolf Creek 2, and I know you're going to be there tonight, mm-hmm. you can judge for yourself because the rumor is that Quentin Tarantino, and this is just a rumor, so I'm going to be full of myself here, but it's been a few sources that have said this, that Tarantino still kind of felt a little bit bad uh, about that whole snubbing, I suppose, that he didn't exactly help write dialogue for Wolf Creek 2, but he had been in contact with maybe John Jarrett or the writers of the movie or the director. Actually, I think it's one of the same. I think it was... Yeah, the, it's the same guy. It is the same guy, yeah. And he maybe threw down a few pointers of like, maybe you could get him to say this or, or go with this kind of idea because the la- the climax of this movie is very much reminiscent of a Tarantino film if it was Aussie Rule style. Um, which <laughs> Aussie Rules Tarantino films. Yeah. yeah. And, and look... 
I know it's a late show night. It is at 11.30, no doubt about it. It's not too late it's, for you people. It's not it's too late. more than doable. But I, I want to say this. For those of you that have seen the first one, I saw the first one as a late night screening. Me and my extra were super pumped for it. And uh, we didn't realize what a slow burner was going to be. So we were pretty bagged in the theater that night. Like, mm. oh man, it's something like, when's this stuff going to kick into gear? And on that initial viewing, because we saw it so late, we are a little bit out of it, I didn't appreciate it as much as I did later on in life when I rewatched it. I'm like, you know, this movie's really good. Now, now I'm hyping it up, and I believe it. With Wolf Creek 2, do not worry about it being a slow burner, because here's the deal. We all know who Mick Taylor is. Uh, so when the credits hit for part two, boom, he's there. You're not waiting 40 minutes for him to show mm -hmm. up. You're waiting 40 seconds for him to be in this movie, <laughs> yes, yes. which is fantastic. Um... And we also learn a bit more about his character because in the first one, it was pretty vague what his motives were. I mean, was he just a psychopath or did he have motives behind who he was picking off and why he was picking off, right? And and real quick, and we talked about this before we went on air, uh, for those of you that have not seen Wolf Creek 1, like, I can't, I haven't seen the first one, can I enjoy the second one? I'm like, yep. absolutely you can. Like I was telling Zippy before we went on air, I'm not saying it's like Frosty. All right, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. Remember, if you want to catch old episodes of the program, you can check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. All you need to do is put in the keyword Moving Radio, and it will open you to a world of old MR. As well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Moving Radio. And also Instagram, same words. That's all you got to do. Uh, remember, check out Infliction. You can find it on iTunes and Amazon.com and Jack Thomas Smith will be our guest again next week as we give you part two of our conversation with him and another part two conversation, Heavy Metal Movies. That's right. You can pick up that book, which I think is fascinating as hell, at HeavyMetalMovies.com and get your free swag with it. Mike McBeardo McPadden will be back on the next episode of Removing Radio as well as we talk more about Heavy Metal Movies. So, Get ready, because it'll be the last show of the summer, ladies and gentlemen, as we blow out July with a lot of excitement. But please, stay tuned to CJSR, because coming up next is the finest in feminist radio.